0: Hello, I'm Jake Sandy and welcome to a special pre-recorded intro to the goals on our podcast unfortunately due to a combination of my own incompetence and a mishap involving the studio fan the original introduction to this show went a bit pear-shaped so I thought I'd add this secret bonus track to quickly introduce the show this week I was just joined by Danny Hodges as Jules Singh was busy watching England play Montenegro at Wembley which I'm sure he will fill us in on during next week's show anyway without much further ado I'll let you get back to the podcast where I start with the question of the week so I thought I'd start this week's uh, episode with our question of the week, and this week the question is: Do you actually like the international break? Um, if Will's winning, yeah.
1: If uh, if Wales winning, yeah. Um, if they're not, then no. And also it depends who's playing, because like for England, if I was for England fans, I kind of do. I'll watch them when they're playing. They've they've only played Montenegro and I can't remember this. It's Kosovo. and Kosovo, so. The, the last the last Castle game was pretty good but um, it if you're playing like teams that are not nowhere near as good then it's kind of not as interesting uh, like England I think are five and up at the moment
0: so yeah it's as far as we were I think they were when we just before we went on out like yeah check, so.
1: so it's uh, but for Wales it's pretty interesting which we'll get onto later so it's a hit and miss overall I quite like it especially the Nations League that was more interesting but uh, qualifiers and it's a hit and miss
0: I can officially confirm it's now 6-0 Exactly, who's got the 6-0? It was a own goal by Alexander Sofranach, I believe That's how you pronounce his name I had never heard of him before, I just read it then So yeah, I think it's definitely An interesting change of pace to the Premier League That has the potential to be interesting But I think, as as you highlighted With the thing you said about the Nations League That's definitely a more exciting brand Of uh, international football Given that England's opposition in the qualifiers that they've been playing recently haven't been particularly stern tests, and I think I'd rather watch England play teams that are more, not necessarily on their level, but more teams where there's a bit more intrigue as to who may win. So moving on from the international uh, football, I think we're going to take a quick look at the last weekend's Premier League action before we look ahead towards uh, the upcoming international break. So obviously the biggest match last weekend was the Liverpool-Man City game. At Anfield, finished three one to Liverpool. So they now have gone, I believe, nine points clear at the top of the league. So yeah, that's a pretty, pretty big lead, especially twelve games in. The thing I was thinking about when watching the game was: did Did you think Manchester City went into it with the right kind of intensity? Um, I think so. Uh, I don't
1: think Pep would have gone in, being like, go for a draw, go for, and I th- they may have been more cautious because. Um, of the fact that Liverpool are well at the time we were only were six points ahead and winning this game would have narrowed it to three points and as we've seen with City they're very uh, they're very good under high pressure uh, that's why I've noticed in the Premier League that when there's times when you think other teams would crack they're pretty good um, but I just think they got quite unlucky with some of the decisions which were like the VAR ones and there's a lot of uh would talk about right and wrong but it could have gone either way and so I think that I think three one also just shows me how just how much better Liverpool were and how much uh, they were taking the chances. Because just looking at the stats at the game, uh, while they only had forty five percent possession, they had oh, Liverpool out oh, oh, their twelve shots on target. They had 5 uh, 12 shots. They had five on target compared to Man City, who had fifty five percent possession, they had eighteen shots, but only three of them on target.
0: Yeah, I think the whole sort of uh, clinical nature of the Liverpool players is probably what helped them in that game I think that they were able to rise to the atmosphere more than Manchester City did I think it's a difficult one to talk about in a completely impartial way well objective way I mean because obviously Manchester City did have a lot of injuries going to the match and they've had some other off the field things that maybe haven't helped them in their preparation so looking at the team they started on Sunday, they had uh, Fernandinho starting at left centre-back who was obviously by trade a midfielder and they also had Angelino left-back and obviously on the bench they had Cancelo and Otamendi who would arguably be better fit for those positions given how I don't know if Angelino is necessarily young but he's certainly, not, he's certainly not experienced in the Premier League I don't think. So I was watching it thinking did Guardiola perhaps get the selection wrong and should he have perhaps maybe thought about getting some players who were more used to playing in those positions in high pressure games such as the one on Sunday.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm very kind of wary of criticising, well not criticising Guardiola's, I think anyone can, but when he's achieved what he's achieved, like me as just in some ways a punter just saying, oh he's picked this, but he's done it wrong. I would normally disagree with people who just say, oh he should have done this and this, because Fernandinho has worked at centre back. And it's been, he's played pretty well when he has played there. But I think for a game like this, personally, I would prefer uh, Yao Cancelo who they spent thirty million on in the summer. Even if he's out of position, if you if you're a fullback, like I played uh, fullback when I was young, and you kind of even if he's on your weaker side, you kind of it's just the same thing. You just got adjust. And if you're someone who's that quality of a fullback, who's highly rated, very very good at his position, I know obviously he is a right back but he can play left back and I just feel like I would have personally preferred if him as a left back more experience better than Angelio which is a bit, bit younger not as proven and when you spend 30 million on a player you kind of expect them to maybe be more versatile um, and also I know Mendy has been criticised for being kind of reminds me of Lovren in that he's uh, except while he does better performances in Lovren in my opinion he's just inconsistent he does stupid mistakes I think for a game like this, I would have wanted him starting centre back with John Stones, and then Fernandinho in front of the back four.
0: Yeah, I was looking at the, um, I was looking at the, the starting eleven that Manchester City fielded, and I did think it was interesting that Fernandinho didn't play in midfield, given the fact that they did have Otamendi on the bench. The only thing I thought that may sort of be a sort of contributing factor as to why he may have not wanted uh, Otamendi is due to the pace. I don't think Armendi oh, has the pace and especially given the speed at how quickly Liverpool's front three break specifically Firmino, Mane and Salah that that perhaps was a factor in Guardiola's choice to do it but then again when you look at the fact that Fernandinho isn't isn't also isn't the fastest but I think maybe it was the sort of game intelligence that Fernandinho has that he's able to spot danger quicker than Otamendi is which may be able to sort of make up any lack of pace he may have
1: yeah you're kind of breaking up the play that's what kind of Fudanini is quite good at um, and Liverpool aren't a team like Burnley where they're going to bluff the ball into the box and they'll do crosses but it won't be you're not just going to see them do long balls or uh, have like Chris Wood up front and then which I would have been a bit more like well that's just a stupid tactical decision because obviously if you had a big striker He's just going to put on third, in the game and he's going to win everything. But I can see why he's put third in because he's probably a little bit faster, than not Mendes. As well, he's much more intelligent at reading the game. But I still think it would have been better if they just had a pro- like a centre back who could play that position, like who does it for his career, rather than someone who has had to adjust
0: to it. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting sort of thing to consider about whether certain managers made the right uh, starting eleven selections, and I mean. From our perspective, as people who aren't elite football managers, it is somewhat difficult to say, but what the, well, the difference between what I thought would be the same as what maybe Pep Guardiola thought going into the match. But what I have found on Twitter, well, I think Danny actually found it on Twitter, and I saw it through him, was a someone has made up a Premier League table where they have looked at the strength of the upcoming schedule. So Liverpool, their next five matches, they upcoming schedule is ranked as the second easiest or the, the, yeah, the second easiest, and the rest of their season is ranked the third easiest so given that it appears that they have played a lot of the tricky games in the early in the first 12 matches of the season do you think the title race could be over now Liverpool may just be able to hold out for the rest of the season
1: Um, no offence to Leicester but if it was just Leicester and there was no Guardiola S- City then I would say yeah um, but and it, it depends how Guardiola if he decides to. I know he's a manager who wants to win everything. He's a serial winner. He just wants to win everything. That's there. That is possible. But um, if they do focus on the Champions League, then which is what you've kind of brought into the win, then I would say yeah, there's a good chance that um, that Liverpool win. But I just can't rule City out because I feel like while well, this Liverpool team is much better than last year's one somehow, even with very minimal changes. And started the season with no goalkeeper for most of it, and uh, no, put like the centre back wasn't really there. So like Gomez was out. So, um, but it's twelve games in. I think over it would be a thirty-eight game season. They're going to lose maybe one or two games, which I think City can pounce on or draw a few. Which, but I've been wrong in the past.
0: Yeah, I think looking at the sort of upcoming fixtures, you do sort of see that Liverpool have maybe had some of the more tricky ones. Obviously, went away to uh, went, went away to Old Trafford a couple of weeks back and got through that match without tr- losing. So, I think it's definitely one to keep an eye on whether Liverpool are able to maintain the pace they've set at the moment. Given that last season, I believe just before Chris, uh, just before New Year's, I believe they were nine points clear and Manchester City yeah, were able to claw that back and turn it around but I think what you said about the Champions League for Manchester City was especially interesting in the sense that there may be a chance that if this game, if the Liverpool's form does indeed continue and they do continue winning at the rate they are do you think that Guardiola may just decide to start focusing on the Premier, League, the Champions League given that from a lot of sources are saying that's what he was originally brought in to do like three seasons ago maybe
1: um, he won't admit a it because he just. I, I don't think most managers will, but especially Guardiola is probably the last manager you will have will turn around and be like, "Yeah, we're not going to focus on the league." But like as I said, he wants to win everything. But I mean, they've got a nice group, uh, and I feel like they're going to they're going to get through that group easy, top the top the table, uh, top that group. Um, and I think it depends on how much longer he's going to stay, because. After, I think the longest he stayed was four years at Barcelona and then he was three years at Bayern Munich and now he's into his fourth year at, at City. Um, like, if he stays next year that would be unprecedented in his career. Um, but I don't know if he's a long-term manager. I don't know if he will. He said He's talked about in the past how he'd love to manage Spain at one point. He's talked about obviously he may want to go to France or Italy, places he hasn't managed before and prove himself there. So, um, I, I, If I was a City fan I'd want to win it now Because he could leave next year He could just be like Well this is it I'm done now I don't know I can't, I, I can't win it I don't want to spend more than five years here
0: Yeah there are always definitely rumours circulating About his future at Manchester City With obviously um His assistant manager Who used to play for Arsenal Whose name completely escapes me This second Oh isn't it like XI No no That's that's Tiki Burns. Oh. He's, the, he's the chief executive Yeah it is Mikel Arteta. because M- yeah. obviously a lot of people have been talking about he's being like groomed for the job by learning from Pep to maybe take over when Pep does decide to leave, and I think that given that you've started to see maybe the pressure build on Guardiola now, not in a not in a sense he might get sacked or anything, but you saw him his like theatrics at the weekend when they were denied what he considered their, their sack what could have been a second penalty for them, his like sort of overreaction and then after the match with the match officials he was thanking them in the most aggressive way I've ever seen someone thank anyone it was the most sarcastic handshake I've seen yeah it was I think that does maybe show where his head's at at the moment because I think that if they don't win the uh, Champions League this year it could be time for him to maybe step aside and let Mikel Arteta or someone else possibly take over the reins so moving on from that game I think we'd just take a look at some a game at the complete other end of the table weirdly enough, 20th against 19th it was Watford versus Norwich which ended in a 2-0 win to the home side, Watford At the moment, do you think Norwich are the most out of form Premier League team? I mean they've played 12 games this season they've lost 9 of them and they are currently winless in the last 7 What are your thoughts? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit worried because they, they started off with a f-
1: a flyingish start for relative to them, and th- this was actually their home game against Watford, and it was a game they should really win. Like they should have won. They had their home home advantage, and um, and I just think you, you, against a Watford team which has been especially poor, I would put them on par with like Derby. <laughs> That's how bad they've been, and follow of last year, like they've just they've just been poor for what for Watford. This they, yeah, it's perfect for them. I know it's against another relegation team, but that's obviously a bonus because you just bring them further into the um, the relegation battle. But uh, I just I don't know where they can go because they haven't got the money to spend. So I don't know who they can
0: bring in in January. But yeah, they are. And I can't see where the next wins come in. Yeah, I did look at their next few matches and they did it pretty tricky. So yeah, I think they probably are the most out-of-form Premier League team. And I do think that maybe... If I was a Norwich fan, I would be starting to worry a bit, given the fact that they haven't picked up a lot of points since beating Manchester City. Like, was it in September, I believe?
1: Yeah, they're four points from uh, safety, and the uh, in seventeenth you've got Aston Villa, in sixteenth you've got West Ham, and fifteenth you've got Everton, and in fourteenth you've got Tottenham. It now, does seem I wouldn't put any of them teams. Maybe Villa, and with well, the way West Ham playing, maybe them, but. I wouldn't put any of the
0: teams in a relegation battle. Yeah, I think this, this game is probably the biggest marker so far we've seen they could be in trouble, given the fact that Watford at home would definitely be a match they should have targeted as one. They have to get three points, because they're the kind of games you need to win if, in order to try and get rack up, what they call the magic, 40 points. They're the exact kind of games that you need to be winning in order to get to that uh, number of points in order to hopefully stay up in the Premier League. But going over to the away team, as I've just learned, uh, Kike Santos Flores has come in, and his, re- for his second reign at the club, and he's been doing quite well, I believe. Well, re- relatively to how they were doing before, which isn't difficult. But this was the, was the, their actually their first win of the season, which is quite shocking, given the fact that we've already played twelve games. But do you? I was looking at the. Um, I was looking at their team before we came on air just to try and see like how many players they had that I'd like heard of to see whether they'd lost any over the summer. And they have an incredible amount of very good players. Like They've got, they've got Dale Fayou. Yeah. They've got... The uh, that is that
1: name. I can't remember yeah, how that's, they
0: pronounce it. They have an incredibly good squad given the fact I like that, that... I like Kubelassi, they Dukare. they Ismail Assar, I think. Yeah. It's not like they're... It's not like it's not Norwich, for example, you have a lot more players you wouldn't have heard of. These are household names and players who have played in the Premier League for... Pereira. Yeah, exactly. People who have played for Watford in the past that just maybe weren't doing what they had done before under their previous manager, Javi Gracia. And I was just wondering whether you think Kike sanchez Flores could actually manage to sort this out and maybe steer them out of this. Um, they've got more depth, certainly, than Norwich as we go through. I think...
1: I think he used to play for them and I just kept thinking he played for them. Um but yeah, like they've got Welbeck, they've got just, uh, Andrew Gray, Ben Foster, Jose Hoblass, um, Will Hughes. I get like there's, there's players here who I wouldn't say this is a top te- top uh, ten team, but it's a team which can easily I would say should on paper be in the Premier League. If yeah. you're better than championship level and I like, just if you if you on paper on depth on depth alone they should be one of the favourites to get out of the relegation
0: battle. Yeah, I think what you said there was basically hit the nail on the head. The thing about um, the fact they've got Premier League quality players, and I think if Kike Sanchez Flores can tactically get the best out of them, then I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to sort of steer themselves out of the sort of mess they managed to get themselves into in the start of the season. Given the fact that looking at the Premier League table now, they are only what three points from safety only three points on Aston Villa so I think they did make the right choice to sack Javi Gracio because they haven't been cut adrift yet I think that's what I'd be worried about if I were a fan of one of the lower level clubs like once you end up six or seven points from safety I think that's when the pressure starts really mounting yeah. and that's the point where it goes south very quickly because in my mind it's like when you get six, six points off relegation that's essentially
1: nine points because if you think I know it's like it just means it's just so much more. For, it's so much harder for teams in the bottom to pick up six points. So it kind of is more like you're trying to pick up nine points. Just because if you're in the bottom half, it's just it's like you've got to win. Try so much harder. Like you're playing a game and a half each game just to try and like watching Swans when they got relegated. It was like they, I felt that they could do it. They could get out. But it was that kind of you felt like they were playing. A, they were playing a game and a half. They were trying so much harder just to equal the teams they were playing. And that's essentially what like relegation battle. Like, like You look at Norwich, they just don't have the depth.
0: Yeah, that's actually, that actually what I was going to ask you about. When you, you obviously watched your team swarm to get relegated, at what point did you realise that it was probably over?
1: Um, well, because we brought in Cavallio, and it kind of had this little bit of a rena- renaissance, our honeymoon period where we won a bit. But I think it was when we lost to Tottenham. We beat Liverpool, but then it was a Southampton game where I thought, we need, we need to win this. And then Southampton were also in a relegation battle. And when Southampton beat us, it was like four games from the end. I thought, or three games from the end, I was like this is this is it, this is done.
0: So you didn't think you were in, t- so you didn't think you were in trouble like early on in the season. You thought there may- was maybe a chance you could have got out of it. I
1: did, but I think my hopes were brought back up that because when we got the new manager and they started winning again. But from the beginning of the year, I just remember thinking there's not enough depth, not not enough enough depth in this team, and I was proven right. But then we started to win, so it's kind of it was this false perception of oh maybe maybe I was wrong, maybe it was. But then as we lost Tottenham and we, while we beat Liverpool there was some times where you kind of think there's still just one player gets injured here then we're done. Like It's we really like we were talking that um, if Pookie's Puk- not scoring
0: once if he gets injured they've got, I can't think of anyone else they could really bring into it. I actually looked it up so I was going to bring up that point next about what would happen if Pookie can't really get his scoring boots back on because they've got Joseph Dermich. But he yeah. is, he's currently injured. He, he actually just pulled out the Switzerland squad. So I really don't see where their goals are coming from at the moment. Because I don't think they've not got any like majorly goal-scoring midfielders either. And no, that's sort of where you'd look for if the strikers weren't performing, which clearly they're not at the moment.
1: According to Google, the only other two forwards they have is Adam Ida and Dennis Schrobeni. And I've never hit them in my life.
0: Yeah, I think Norwich have so far score only scored uh, 11 goals, which is the only one lower than that is actually Watford
1: and I think Crystal Palace but Crystal Palace have got a good structure of a team which I just think with Norwich there's only so much Daniel Fark I like him as a manager but there's only so much you could do with the tools that you've got given Yeah, definitely. and um, I think we've seen them what he can do with the team but I just felt feel with the investment and the depth I just I thought they would have scraped out not got good this year but
0: I'm, I, I'm putting them on favorites to get relegated. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one because I, I, I always think this every season. I don't, and it's never founded to be. It's not founded on any like truth or anything. But I always think that like, this is the best Premier League we've ever had in terms of quality of teams. Like this year, I genuinely couldn't separate which teams would go down. Yeah, the, the the promoted teams were of such good quality. I thought I had last season because so I thought Fulham would do really well, but that turned out to be wrong. So yes. I guess it's sort of very difficult to say, like with teams that are coming up, but looking at them, obviously they did incredibly well in the championship last year, and you saw how good a manager Daniel Farker is. I did expect more of them at this point in the season, but perhaps that's more a reflection of what I thought about them and maybe. I
1: guess the general point of where English football well English football leagues have gone is that the Premier League I remember when I really got into it, it was I have been around 10 or so, or that's when I really started with it. Uh, the teams there, you could always pick out a few teams that you would be like, oh, they're going to get relegated or these other, you kind of knew where the teams would be, but as nowadays, like, we're talking about the top six, not the top four anymore, and we're talking about teams like Everton, well, at the beginning of the season, Everton, West Ham, but also uh, Wolves, who could break into the top six, and, it, and Leicester, so it, I think the has now just got so much better and why? and then you're looking at and it was always that talk of well, teams in the championship they could just come up and get relegated, can't compete and stuff, which is kind of true with the money side. But the football in, the way the teams are playing in football now in the championship is so much different to ten years ago, twelve years ago. So I think the quality just getting so much better that when teams are coming up, you're just like, well, I don't know who's gonna, who's gonna go up and who's gonna stay down because the quality's
0: just that good. Yeah, I think there's definitely an absence of the sort of perpetually bad teams in the Premier League at the moment. Yeah. So obviously, like back in the past, you've had Stoke who were hovering around relegation for quite a few seasons. Whereas this season, as I said the closer you probably have would be Newcastle. They've actually been playing quite well and looked to be yeah. in reasonably good shape. But moving on from that game, I thought we'd just go back to Arsenal as we always do because it is the ultimate banter club. So after their loss at 2-0 to Leicester City at the weekend they're now 9 points adrift from both Chelsea and Leicester who occupy 3rd no 4th and th- I think 4th and 2nd because yeah. Manchester City are on the same points as Chelsea now and Chelsea are above uh, no I, I, well, actually
1: I think Chelsea by above them by 1 point
0: Chelsea are above them by 1 I, I, as a Chelsea fan I should have known that but oh, I was, I was thinking, the thinking the same as you I thought they were just equal and ahead on goal difference but not. So what has happened since that game was that the Arsenal head of football has actually come out and publicly backed Unai Emery, which is a bit strange given the fact they are so far off the top four now. But their next few games are Southampton at home, Norwich away, and Brighton at home Albion at home. Do you think that if they don't take nine points from these games, it will be curtains for Unai? Yeah. Um,
1: they're on minus one goal difference now. So they need to score quite a lot of goals in the next one and it'll be if they win they'll be in 26 points which could potentially um, not lift them into the top four because City's on 25 points and I can't realistically see them only picking up one point in the next three games um, or even Chelsea or, or Leicester losing all of them but it could push them up to fifth and I think they've obviously got so much more quality than Sheffield United who are uh, at the moment currently sitting in fifth for, uh, joint, joint points but five goal difference ahead and um, so they've got to just keep scoring to just close that gap because I realistically think Sheffield could push like win the next three games or just get quite a few points from them so um, but yeah if they do, if he if he can't beat two of the bottom three teams and Brighton who are 11th but um, are like they're picking up a form but they're just I feel like they should they could potentially drop down as season goes on if they don't pick nine points up then I'm I don't think there's how can you excuse him still in the
0: job like how can you back in when you've just the teams they should be beaten they aren't beaten yeah exactly I think obviously I can put Leicester uh, Brighton in that list and I don't think they're they're not obviously performing as badly as Southampton and Norwich but I think given that Arsenal have spent so much money and stuff that it would be disappointing for them and their fans yeah. if they were to lose against a team that is obviously in the bottom half of the table but another thing that I thought was interesting from this game is that, as I said, it's made Leicester nine points ahead and Leicester are now nine points clear in the top four. So are we sort of starting to reach the point where it perhaps it'd be disappointing if Leicester don't fish in the top four given that how well they've played so far and given the lead they've got at the moment?
1: Um, yeah, because they've got the best defence in the league.
0: Uh, the
1: only team that's close to them is Sheffield United who has, well, they've got one goal difference... Uh, less than they've got nine goal difference whereas less have eight and then it's liverpool with 10 um so they've got the best defense in the league which surprises me um but they've also got one of the second best attack in the league so it's like if you looked on paper they are a champion they should be they're a champion quality level team um i can't see them catching liverpool i'd argue this team is better than the one that won the league a few years ago just on depth and talent alone I doubt they will win the league just because Liverpool and City are too good. Um, but if they, I can see them finishing third above Chelsea. I think they've got more experience slash youth slash quality, whereas I think Chelsea have got too much youth, which is not seen as a bad thing. But I don't think I think Leicester will just edge them out and maybe get third over them. But I just think Brendan Rodgers has built up this kind of reputation after all the kind of David Brent comparisons while he was at Liverpool and all this all that. So I th- I'm the credit is the credit is due to Leicester
0: and yeah definitely obviously Brandon Rogers came through at Chelsea as a manager and I think a lot of people do see him as a sort of joke figure given the fact that a lot was made about the certain things he said on Twitter during his reign at Liverpool and I think that's perhaps not indicative of the quality of manager he is the point you said about the Leic- this Leicester team being better than the last team that won the league I'd also probably agree I think there's definitely a lot more uh, I don't know what the word is there's definitely a lot more not only depth in terms of players depth in terms of tactical ideas
1: yeah there was the Leicester team that won the league was very counter attacking and pounced and relied on the quality of Mares and who could and, and Kante but then also just the balls at the top and through balls that Jimmy Vardy
0: could get onto yeah they definitely sort of implied a more sort of smash and grab kind of uh, tactics, whereas this Brandon Rogers team is sort of a multi-faceted attack where if one player's not performing at the level where they should be, I think there are more players that are able to step up to the pe- plate, so it's not just made on Mars and Vardy's individual talent. It's more of a cohesive team now that I think has a lot more answers for the questions that will be posed by teams that are conventionally like better than them.
1: Yeah, the only two t- players I'd take from that last winning team is Mares and Kante they can't take a fit in any team in the world but they've got Ndidi who they're comparing stats from the year he won it I think were Kante's stats to Ndidi's stats and they were like scarily similar so I don't know how you could have both players in the same team but Mares is like I don't know if you'd regret leaving Leicester now he's won the league but I feel like if he was at Leicester he would actually be starting and would make that team so much better um well just quality wise would make the team better as well as adding depth um so, but yeah, I'm just, I'm as a like a fan of West Ham, and I'm I'm I've got a soft spot for Leicester and United and Sheffield United, but especially Leicester just because they're a team which they somehow kept onto their good players, Bar Maguire, but have brought in more. And I thought this team would have been cannibalised and like like loads of these players just would have gone elsewhere, but they've kept in This could kind of show me for people
0: who in the future being like, look, we can build teams. Yeah, and and def- people may go to Leicester. Yeah, it's definitely sort of a template on how to take a team that is good, and it, by making a few adjustments and sort of getting in players that embody the spirit of the club, how well it can go in terms of transforming you into team a team that can maybe challenge the top four. I think specifically the player that I sort of would look at would be Soyuncuk, the defender yeah. who's been brought in. Because I didn't realise this, I looked up the other week, but he actually signed for Leicester last season. And only made, I think, eight Premier League appearances. Yeah, I saw him be- featured, but not Lowe's. And then they sort of let him sort of adjust to the league, and now he's come in. And a lot of people are saying that he is perhaps better than Maguire was last season. But sort of, move, as we move to the end of the Premier League review segment, I just wanted, as we're approximately a third of the way through the season, what your relegation and top four predictions were.
1: Um, I think the top four will stay the same. I feel like it'll be Liverpool, City, Leicester, Chelsea. Um, and I can't really make much difference between the bot three either. I think Watford I think Watford got so much better under uh, Kike Sanchez-Forest but I just feel like Villa have got too much quality and Dean Smith's a good manager who's quite a good attacking manager they've scored 17 goals uh, defending wise they're not the best but I think sometimes in a relegation battle you just need as many goals as possible when you need them Um I, I see Norwich going down and I see Watford going down and I think maybe I don't really know because I can't see Villa, West Ham, Everton or Tottenham get relegated and Newcastle just Newcastle were going to be one of my favourites to go down but they just seem to keep pulling results at the bag so I would have to stick with the bottom three I just can't see and maybe it'll change positions but I do feel like they will be the bottom three to go down so Watford, Southampton, and Norwich City
0: I pretty much agree with you on all the points, apart from I think Watford may get out of it. I think Aston Villa may get sucked in and may get relegated. I think they are incredibly dependent on Jack Grealish and his yeah. ideas, and I think that they're stri- Wesley. While he's a good player, I don't think he is quite the quality that the pre- that's required in the Premier League right now. And obviously they've got John McGinn who's been getting most of their goals from midfield and I don't think that's necessarily a very sustainable option over a 38 game season yeah if you have someone who just marks about the game then that's done but with that said I do think they will get quite far of the Carabao Cup especially considering they've got Liverpool and the Liverpool fielding a B team and I think in a one-off game people like difference makers like Jack Grealish may have the skill to maybe turn the game but sort of moving on from the Premier League, we will now have a quick look at the international break, so I've just checked the England score, it is all over and it is was a 7-0 victory for England, so I'm sure Jules will have lots of goals to talk us through next week, the seventh goal was scored by Tammy Abraham of course, England's best ever striker, lovely and that's a very happy thing as a Chelsea fan to see, obviously it's a it's had a pretty great story obviously coming up through Chelsea and going on lots of loans he went to, on loan at Swansea didn't have the best time a lot of people doubted him in the Premier League yeah. went to Aston Villa last season had an amazing season finished one of the uh, Championship's top goal scorers, and now he's come to Chelsea and has taken the league by storm I want to say so given that England absolutely pasted Montenegro I don't really feel there's much point dissecting that no. <laughs> the, but the biggest point this week has been that Raheem Sterling didn't start the game but due to his... I believe it was on an altercation, for lack of a better word, with Joe Gomez on Monday after the, after turning up for England training. Obviously, the day after the Manchester City Liverpool game, and I think there was a bit of a set to in the match between them. I think it may have spilled onto the next day. So what uh, Gareth Southgate chose to do was drop Raheem Sterling for tonight's game, but he's still training with the squad and is still in contention to make an appearance on their next game, that I believe, is on Sunday. So do you think Gareth Southgate made the right call? I mean, I see why he did it. I I, I read reports that Gomez
1: came up to Southgate after and said, don't drop him. Um, and I see why he's done it, because if he didn't do it, then people would be questioning his authority. Uh, I I feel like, oh, well, if he can't handle this, then what can he handle? But I also see why he's... I can see why he's dropped him because I feel like Montenegro was an easy win. So... I think it is kind of the right thing to do. I think people criticise it, but in this, uh, whether Sterling was the instigator in this, I'm assuming because why he's been dropped and not Gomez. I I believe that was the um, case. Yes. Then yeah, I kind of agree from a manager's perspective on like right. We're just you're not going to play. This is your fault. Like it should be kind of an honour to represent your country. Generally, get reps in your country means you are the best of the best. So if you're getting dropped, it should kind of be more
0: of a reflective moment. Be like, look, I'm not going to take this anymore yeah i suppose my housemate about this and he sort of was saying about why we're well, wondering why england didn't keep it behind closed doors and not like make it public and then maybe start sterling and just keep it quiet but looking at the sort of place where it happened i think it was quite a public place and i think that a lot it would have got leaked anyway and i think that in the pa- like past england teams and passing the manager would have tried to keep it under wraps and failed miserably it would have got out and ended up in like a 10 times worse story. A tabloid or something. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of a tabloid exclusive kind of story. And I think by sort of nipping it in the butt and making a decisive decision was maybe the best thing that Southgate could have done, which I think does sort of speak to the fact that he has maybe not revolutionised but definitely made great strides in building yeah. bridges with the English press.
1: Um, I like to correct myself. I come to the sun. It's uh, Joe Gomez's dad defends Raheem Sterling over bust up. Oh, right, yeah. Um, it's just saying. I, the uh, one of the tabloids quoted, "It's normal," that's what his dad said. But yeah, like it's just not, it's like yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's kind of a bit of an odd one because if Sterling is arguably the best player in England, but it is just showing authority, isn't it? Like kind of it's something that I don't like. What came to my mind first was I don't want this to repeat of the golden generation. That kind of there was a lot of not in fighting per se, but a lot of clickiness from what i read like Rio Ferdinand's come out over the years and said like how those factions within the England team I
0: don't want this kind of be like one of them now Yeah I think that's definitely an important thing to do as an international team I think Gareth South has maybe managed it more like a club manager would yeah. if two players had a falling out in training that he was made a more decisive decision to just nip it in the bud and just Say right, you're not playing this game, but you're back in the next one, and let's just move on. Which I think was probably the right call. Yeah, because I think like I agree with you. I think past managers wouldn't have handled it. I think they would have looked at the
1: egos and kind of the names and be like, oh, we can't do this, we can't do this. Whereas I, th- I do think Southgate has kind of said, England's bigger than you, type of thing. Like the, the national team is in some ways like you're not bigger than this. We're not just going to play you because you're the best team. We are going to punish you if, you if you have caused something
0: or it has been something significant. Yeah, so moving on from what I imagine in like two days will be an inconsequential part of history. Um, One of the biggest sort of, Birmingham-centric stories that have come out of this international break is a lot of Aston Villa fans have been very unhappy that Jack Creech has yet to be called out for England. And I was looking at the squad and obviously Jadon Sancho doesn't play in midfield but he is in this squad despite not being in the best form currently. Obviously, at the weekend uh, his team, Borussia Dortmund, lost 4-0 away at Bayern Munich and he was taken after 36 minutes. And I think a lot of people were questioning whether it would have been a right time for Gareth Southgate to maybe leave uh, Sancho out and maybe call up Grealish. Although given uh, Southgate's sort of reticence to drop any of his people, like he's clearly got his like squad he wants, and I don't know whether he maybe thought that dropping Sancho at such a young age, at such a critical point, would have maybe alienated him in a way. And um, yeah, I think maybe the fact that Sancho's playing in Germany that made it even worse in some
1: way, especially after like said recent form. But I think this is kind of the. Uh, not problem it's, it's a good problem of just having a good youth system now it's brought through loads of good players because you have like Mason Mount Madison Oxlade Chamberlain Like, would you really and Sancho would you really say Grealish is be- like Grealish is really talented and he's had to kind of while he started in the Premier League he had to go obviously he was a relegated to kind of prove himself and, then, and, I, and he's obviously showing in the Premier League his quality but I still think they should have taken him but I just don't think he would have started over them I just I feel like and I say form picks up am- amazingly this in the rest of the season. I just feel like Mount
0: is too good while being injured, but yeah, I think the one the well the pick I would have gone for today that would have been maybe the chance he would have got was Oxlade-Chamberlain starting. Yeah, but I think that Oxlade-Chamberlain has been in such in such good form for Liverpool, scoring I think three goals since he came back from injury. Something, yeah, he's been he's been, he's been like, on fire. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. I think it was probably. Sort of critical point in his career that he needs to try and get back into the fold and This was probably quite a good opportunity. And then if you're playing him, if you're playing oxy chamberlain and then you're putting Grealish ahead of
1: Madison, there's been a lot of just before coming on the show, I was reading about Twitter, like just on Twitter, like a lot of people are kicking off that Madison isn't getting started because they say arguably he's the most he's the
0: most uh creative player that England has. Yeah. So sort of moving on from talking about the sort of player specifically, I was more sort of thinking we could maybe have a quick talk about the Euro 2020 expectations that people have for England so obviously the phrase it's coming home has been done to death but it is quite literally coming home next uh, year with Euro 2020 with both two semi-finals and the final being held in England and I don't know whether home advantage would help if England did get that far but where do you think would be a, where do you think is the minimum expectation that England fans can have for their team ahead of the tournament semi-final just be, I know it's quite a big bar like quite
1: a high bar but everyone was surprised they got the same final World Cup and I was surprised and to be fair they did have an easier run than other teams however they beat who was in front of them and then they lost to the team who got to the World Cup final and played, played amazing out of bounds all player and winner you um, know like I th- they should they, I would argue say they're better now than they were in the World Cup and the only teams I can really think that maybe it better than them are Germany, France, Belgium no, not even Germany. Germany just seems to underperform. Like I know, well, I say, better. they are teams that are I say are on the same level, but I mean that fact. The fact you said that they've got there's a semi final and final will be played in Wembley. That will be a big incentive because while it's not home soil per se, because they will be playing in Europe for up until the quarterfinals, you will want it to be like the play the possibility at home and. If like, I just feel like that will be on a lot of the English players' minds is that it is kind of they've got a home advantage in the sense that, well, if we get the same final, we have the we have that 12th man, um, but I say France, Belgium, and to an extent Spain are better, but then you've got like and Germany, but then you've got
0: Netherlands. I think one of the most interesting teams that I've been sort of was reading about before I came on air was the Italy. Yeah. yeah, they're in group. They're in. They're in the. I don't know in the group H or something so they've sort of gone under the radar but they've won they've won 8 out of 8 so they're the only team with a perfect record in qualifying Like their, their group's not been particularly difficult but I think it is sort of indicative of the job that I believe their manager is uh, Roberto Roger Mancini, Mancini yeah. yeah I think he has done quite a good job and I think going into the tournament he could certainly they're certainly ones to watch
1: um, yeah
0: but then I feel like we shouldn't get lured into the trap that
1: was always the same in England where they would win the group easily and then they just get destroyed and then total one. We're like, well, hang on, we've won. So I feel like that could be the same with Italy because I don't feel like they're as strong as they were in the past. I feel like Italy are a team that have been on the decline for the last few years. I think they're on the up slightly, but the overall trend is that they've just been declining. Um but I'm I'm I my team to watch is the Netherlands. I feel like under Ronald Koeman. Um they've just they've been reinvigorated. I feel like they've just been they've just they've slightly changed from this team that after Van Hal left they just fell apart and they just didn't really they didn't they didn't they, all the old players just retired and they didn't seem to have a good crop as you've coming through. Now
0: they do then Frankie De Jong... Uh, uh, not Frank De Jong, Frank uh, De Ligt. Yeah, I think my personal expectations for England, this is probably going to be quite a controversial one, but I think they have got to make it to the final. I think anything less than that, I think Gareth Southgate needs to at least consider his position given that when you look at the England team now they do have some of the best players in the world in their positions you've got people like Sterling you've got Kane yeah. you've got people that would possibly make into an all the world best 11 and I think which yeah, he hasn't had for a long time exactly and I think if he doesn't make use of them to at least well, maybe not get to the, if they went out in the semi-final to the eventual winners or something then I'd maybe give him a pass for that because that's obviously a very difficult thing to come up against but I think anything less than a decent semi-final loss to a good team yeah. or the final would maybe be the point where I'd say perhaps Gareth Southgate has done all he can in terms of how good he is as a manager
1: who would you replace him with though? that's the only thing I know it's a bit on the spot question but like my scepticism skeptic- of him taking the England job is the fact that his time at Middlesbrough was mixed um, while he kind of uh, kind of you know his, his career got a reboot through the England set up but like
0: I don't know who you'd replace him. Eddie Howe, maybe Chris Wilder? Like, if you've gone for an English manager. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I don't think, by any stretch, South gets a bad manager. But what I think is that he struggles with the decision-making in games that elite managers make, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's definitely his substitutions are where I feel that he's the weakest, watching them play in the World Cups especially. Like, when they played Colombia, England was screaming out for a substitute, and towards the end of the game when they were looking a bit leggy and he didn't get he didn't put one on and then suddenly Columbia scored a ninety third minute header to take it to extra time and then it goes to penalties and then realist penalties are a they're a coin toss basically. It yeah. could go either way I mean, and I think England's history doesn't really prove yeah, paint, exactly. a, paint a pretty picture. I think they were massively bailed out of that one by the work he'd done with them mentally on penalties. Where whereas if they'd gone out then I think it could have been their whole sort of the whole narrative around the World Cup sort of hinged on that moment I think his whole career could have been changed by that moment exactly I think that was he did get away with one there so speaking of other managers who certain people don't feel are very well qualified for their jobs I thought we just as you are here and from Wales and also a big Wales football fan I'd imagine yeah. um, we, will, we would discuss the team. So, up next for Wales is a trip to Azerbaijan on Saturday, and then they've got Hungary at home next Tuesday. Their position in their group isn't the best at the moment, but I think they are quite in good stead to get a playoff place. Do you see these games as must-win? Uh, yeah. So, I think the top two through each group goes through,
1: I believe, and I could be wrong. I think I had a list before, but... Um, so... If like there's still a chance of them getting through because Hungary have been on, like they've lost two in the last five, um, and it's at home in Wales. But the problem is that Azerbaijan beat not well, Wales beat Azerbaijan two one at home, and it was a they're a tricky team to beat. While the stats show they've lost five and drawn one, I think they drew the one against Croatia, and Slovakia only just about beat them. So he was looking at Wales. You were kind of like, "Well, actually, they are a hard team to break down. They may not win, but they'll they'll give you a hard time doing it." Um, but that Slovakia game, and they have a game uh, they get a game in hand over uh, Hungary as well. As Slovakia playing Croatia, and Croatia. It's not like Croatia is so far ahead; they just can't. They don't care. So Croatia need to win to get guaranteed top place, uh, top place in the group. So uh, in some ways, it is favouring Wales. The next run of fixtures, they've probably got the I say the two. Maybe easier, so to the uh, better ones, but that draw against Slovakia really changed everything because that two extra points put them joint points with Slovakia and same goal difference, but only two points behind Hungary and a game in hand. So they haven't—they're not in the driving seat, but they've got one hand on the wheel, so they can make an influence either way. But I think they'll be Azerbaijan. If they don't, then that's even if they get a draw, that's uh, any chance I'm going through over, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I definitely sort of. So you're saying it's probably the is definitely a must-win game for the team. Do you feel that Ryan Giggs as a manager would you back his side in a game, where they had to win, or there was no like it was a must-win, massively important game? Do you think he has the? No. Has the, you think know, he has the mental fortitude to be? As I feel a manager. Like Chris
1: Coleman's team, as we saw Belgium, I just felt like there was games where you need to win and they would win, or if they needed a result, they would have got one. Whereas with. I don't know with Ryan. I think it's the same problem as Southgate. There's just times against like when Bale was limping, you're like just take him off, take him off, and he just wouldn't do it. I don't think his substitutions or in-game in-game tactics aren't as good, uh, but he's been improving the last few games. So he's kind of proved me wrong slightly, but I'm still not. If Wales qualify, I'll have to change my opinion on him um, because it would the odds aren't in his favour. But I mean. Wales has got the joint best defensive group only with Croatia sure, but they've got the second worst attack only one more goals than Azerbaijan but hopefully fingers crossed Ramsey and Bill can both play for the first time since 2018 or something more longer than that and if they do both are playing I feel like they'll beat Azerbaijan and they, with them two quality players they should be hungry but this is lots of big ifs and buts and I'm a bit worried that especially against Hungary, even though he's at home and it's
0: in Wales' favour that game. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one with uh, Ryan Giggs given that his only experience in management was being assistant, to, assistant at Man United, then taking over as caretaker for a few games and I think lots of people, myself included, did think the Wales job came quite early and obviously after looking at the groups they've got with Croatia, Hungary, Slovakia and Azerbaijan, it is not an easy group given the fact that teams like Slovakia and Hungary are arguably on Wales's level. Yeah. As a sort of not, not in like a... Obviously Wales have got some elite players known Bale and uh, Ramsey specifically who obviously both have their sort of injury problems which mean they don't play all the games. So they've got the key difference makers and the thing that I wonder about Ryan Giggs is whether he necessarily has the skills as a manager in order to be able to properly utilise the players that I see as difference makers. That's that's one more because Bale,
1: Bale is good... I think with any manager, I've watched. Will, I watched him play for Wales, and he's just quality. That's what I think makes a World class players that they're good whenever. But he doesn't. I, you, I do sometimes feel like he could be utilized better. And same with Ramsey, and just other players. I feel like there are the times when it um, just could be done. It just players could be used better, and could be. And that's what I'm a bit
0: worried about. Um, but then I don't know who we'd replace him with. If that's any issue. Yeah, one of the things I see. Where teams that have an elite player like Wales have Bale, is that there's a massive tendency in order to, to always give it the ball to Bale to see what he's yeah. going to do with it. Whereas what I think a more tactically astute manager would maybe do would be to play Bale to get Bale in good positions, but be able to exploit the space that defenders leave because they're trying to mark him out of the game in order to try and get other players into the into the or into the game and try and get them on the ball more. And I think that it's a very difficult thing to coach because obviously at any level I've played fit football for the my uh, departmental team in the university and there's always a massive tendency as soon as I look up with the ball and I see the guy who's the best player on our team the tendency is to just smack the ball straight to him because you think that he he's the man who's got all the answers and I think that it takes a certain level of tactically getting your message across to the players that they need to think about what they're doing before they do it so they can like they, when, they, when they look up, they don't just see, oh, there's the guy who plays at Real Madrid, who's well, you know, at one point the most expensive player in the world. They see that there's has two men on him and there's someone else in more yeah. space. And that's the kind of thing that I don't think Ryan Giggs is maybe the best man for the job in terms of implementing tactically. It was the same a bit under Chris
1: Coleman, but it wasn't to the same extent. I just feel like so much watching Wales sometimes, it was just like, it was literally like, pass the ball to the good man, pass it to the good man, let him do it. And you're like, well, you've got other players You yeah, they're not on the same level, but as you said, a more tactically astute manager would be thinking, well, people are going to mark him out, but that's going to leave space in this area where we could put, like, Johnny Williams there, get the ball and push push up to the wings for the uh, the full-backs to overlap and cross in or to make some space in the middle so that Bale can then run on behind or pull players in. Like, it just doesn't seem that their
0: team of the parts. They they do rely too much on him at times. Yeah, it's definitely not a massive, like... uh derision of Ryan Giggs like I don't believe he's a bad manager like, uh, even teams like Barcelona are guilty of doing it to an extent just, they've got a player who is so good that they do tend to rely on them and I think that even managers at Barcelona's level do sometimes lean on them slightly too much and I think yeah. that if he maybe took a step back and started to consider what he's got as a whole especially given that they've got people like Dan James who are like unbelievably quick and stuff that maybe that they could be able to Provide sort of goals and stuff when Bale was perhaps being marked at the game or not playing particularly well. But just one more thing before, I want, before we finish with this evening. I was just curious as to who you think at this very early stage, just by the fact we don't know who's going to qualify yet, who you think will take the win at Euro 2020 overall?
1: Um, France or Belgium uh, with the outside chances of England or the Netherlands. But I would say... I put my money in Belgium. I just think they're too good. I think France, while they are World Cup winners and they will probably make it to a final, semi-final at minimum, I just feel this Belgium team is just
0: too good. Yeah, I'm not sure. I watched Belgium at the World Cup quite a bit, and I watched the game against. They played against Japan. They came back from one 0 yeah. down. They and they scored two very late goals. The last one was a counter attack in like the last minute, and I just don't think i see from roberto martinez the kind of tactical as kind of tactics again but the sort of him not being the elite level manager i think didier Deschamps is perhaps a better manager i think ronald kerman is probably a better manager just about and i think those are the kind of things that in a tournament like euro 2020 where a lot of the teams will think they can win it i think it will be Fought mentally as well as physically. Yeah. And I think that managers like Didier Deschamps specifically, who has experience winning international tournaments and getting very far in international tournaments as a manager, and whereas you've got a uh, Kerman, obviously has lots of experience as a player, playing for Barcelona, winning trophies, they may be able to sort of coach their players mentally through it better, given the, obviously, I'd imagine the sort of last eight of the Euros this time round will be very quite particularly competitive given the fact that a lot of the best players always play in Europe so it is generally yeah. a sort of a, a more sort of a difficult tournament to win than perhaps the World Cup yeah I would agree I, I think that um, it's
1: quality in the World Cup could be a bit more because you've got Argentina and Barcelona's uh, not Barcelona Brazil but I think for just the level then the Euros is harder at the lower level at the group stages and so on just because there's just so much, te- so many teams that are on such a good level
0: yeah and also the um, fact that it's sort of moving around this year sort of throws a wild yeah. card in but I think it has just about turned 10 o'clock so that just about does it for our show this evening so just remember you can find us on Spotify and other podcast streaming services by just searching Goals Aloud uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sandy FC. you can find Danny at Danny Hodges 2 Uh, So as ever, thank you so much for listening. So it's goodbye from me, it's goodbye from Danny. Thank you very much. And we'll see you back here live on Burn FM next Thursday evening at 9pm.